Episode 2, Harley K. Dubois. Enjoy. Back when you were running the Rangers, the world was not as aware of gender discrimination and ageist discrimination and all the discriminations that exist in the world. Was that in your mind at all back then? Or was it just so obvious? Or were you just trying to get it done? Or was it... There were so many fights that were going on, just the, the battles, not fights, battles, to win, to get the event to go and people to work together. Was there any thought about we need to have more women doing this role or do we need to have more people of color at all? Or was there any of that? Yes, that was always in our thoughts, um, always in my thoughts. And I will say when I walked into that room for the first time um, and those 23 people were sitting around the table, there was um, not gender equity, but there were a few very strong, very capable women in that room. And we had some brown and black skinned people in that room, not to the amount that we needed, and I think we're always striving to have more, but there was some there for sure. And I think it's always been a part of the conversation. In the early days, as you just suggested, we were just trying to keep our heads above water. We were just trying to survive, just trying to not get shut down by law enforcement or have enough money that we could actually do the next event. So we didn't have a lot of time to spend on that, but every chance we had, I did, I think other people did. Um, I certainly remember having those conversations in the Rangers, even back then in 2002. So it's always been a part of the conversation and now it's time to put it into action. Now it's time to like really go for it. Like mm -hmm. that's what I'm spending a lot of my time doing now is trying to drive that in every angle of the organization I can. And we are hoping to get some sort of system that works with the 10 principles that works for Burning Man, but also works for people of color in 2021 if we're able to have the event that year, we'll have it in place by that year. And if not, it's going to be put in place even better for, for 22. So it's a super high priority right now. Good. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved hearing one of your talks where you said, well, uh, it was three men and three women. <laughs> and uh, the three women were getting it done. And we had the thinker idea guy and a visionary and, you know, and another guy. And, you know, there was never any argument about it. There was never any, oh, men are better than women. That never came up with the six of us once. It was just taken as a fact that the women got the work done and, and the guys helped a lot, did a lot of super important things, but it wasn't getting all the work done. It just wasn't. <laughs> I've been involved in, with organizations where everyone can get everything done and there's not one person who can get anyone to cry or be inspired. It's dialed and we've got the stats and the server works great and no, there's no one, no fire. There's no one telling a weird story that everyone can make fun of. There's no one coming up with something whimsical that might be great that someone who's tw you know, 20 likes. So you had the right combination of people, a dreamer and a super crazy person <laughs> and then some get to work people who could all work together and that's hard to find. Yeah, I call that the constellation. When you get the right constellation, right? Then you can get the stuff done. And the constellation, it changes from place to place, from department to department, from culture to culture. I remember going to Africa Burn and seeing them in their meetings, like their equivalent of the senior staff, and going, oh my God, that person's a little bit of Joseph Pratt and a little bit of me put together, who would have thunk? And that person is, is a little bit of, you know, a Bogman mixed with, with you know, um, Splinter, and, and a little keeper thrown in there. Like, and what happens a constellation, like you just have the right things together and it works. So, uh, yeah, that's, that holds true. Have you seen any particular grouping of Ranger leadership throughout the years that you can remark on that was either the perfect constellation or just had that one flat tire that kept flapping? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I will say that I have come up with archetypes for organizational success. Oh. And they can be applied pretty much anywhere. And I will say that my experience being really down in the trenches with the Rangers from 2002 to about 2005 or so, 2007 really helped shape my thinking around this. And those archetypes are, I don't know if I'll get them all, but one is the cheerleader, person that just gets everyone going, makes everyone feel good. One's the mediator, just makes sure everyone actually works out and talks it through and gets to the other side. One person sets the pace. This is how hard we work. This is how fast we work. This is the way we get it done. And we're all doing this together, right? Uh, one person's a tire kicker. But the person says, that's fucked up. You're doing it wrong. Try it again. You know, that's a really important role. The person who pushes you and tests you. It's also an irritating role. Um, what else is there? Uh, there's a few other roles in there. But I learned a lot of this by watching these teams come together and understanding that it doesn't matter how old someone is or what their life experience is or all that stuff that you see in a resume and you, and you matter, what's the chemistry in the room? Mm -hmm. When everyone gets together, how does this decision actually get made? And when is it optimal? Maybe it's not the fastest, but it's optimal. The best decision gets made. And when you get all the right constellation of people doing all these archetypal roles, it all works out really well. I love that use of optimal. That doesn't have the good and the perfect. It's just optimal. Well, an optimal for Burning Man, we, all, we know, is often not optimal for the rest of the world. Uh, it's it's optimal for Burning Man, and we're our own special little... Well, yeah, and, bo and both things. Also, not optimal for Burning Man off-season is perfectly legit on the playa. Yeah, I think we have teams that function super solidly on playa, and then off playa, it's a little bit more of a struggle, and vice versa, too. It all looks great those 51 weeks of the year, and then you get there and it falls apart and you've got to start at the beginning and build it up again. Isn't it crazy? Yes. And there are learnings in there. And if you ever had the chance to sit back and really think about it, you'd pull those learnings out and you probably have. And you understand them. You can say, oh, this one's not going to work on the play. I can tell it. I can feel it in my bones. <laughs> the thing that we keep running into is people with great ideas and great ideas and great ideas. And humans can make things super complicated. Yeah. yeah, we have that motto, hold on while I make this more complicated, or hold on while I overthink this. Yeah, that's one of the pitfalls of Burning Man, for sure. Um, I know uh, Nambla the Clown, who helped me start Play Info, used to say, Burning Man is great ideas, poorly executed. And I think there's truth to that. Or over-executed. Yeah. Harley, was there something with the approved burn sites before everything got really organized and there were burn gardens? Yeah, actually. Before there were approved burn sites, there were no approved burn sites. And if law enforcement caught you burning and you were, were not on the list, bad things could happen to you. On a list? There was a list. There was a list. There still is a list of, of approved burns, right? From the art department? Right, okay. That list was established about 2002. So it was a new thing. There's law enforcement going, oh, we got a list. We know what's important. We know what's, what's, what's gonna be okay. And if you weren't on the list, you were in trouble. But it was so new that the rangers knew about the list, the art department knew about the list, the law enforcement knew about the list, but the average citizen or even a lot of our staff members didn't know there was a list. Oh my God. So two of our staff members got together and they were kind of annoyed with the fact that the burn had gotten so overproduced and so fancy with all these pyrotechnics. And it wasn't like the good old days, right? Where it was just a simple burn. Right. So they decided to get the original drawings of the, of the man and build to scale the original man, which is about eight feet tall. And Larry heard about it, and they were really afraid when Larry heard about it. They thought they were going to get shut down or Larry get mad at him or something. But Larry actually loved the idea. He thought it was super cool. 
So he got behind them and Crimson got behind Larry. And so, God, they got the two heavy hitters behind them, right? They got the approval to burn their little man from Larry and Crimson. And then Larry invited them to burn the man on the site of the original man being burnt on Sunday night before the temple burned. No, no, no. Yeah, these guys had it made. They were so excited. Like they had all the approval they needed. And, and Larry even said he was going to come out and help them burn. So they go out there on Sunday. It was before sunset because the man burnt, the temple burns early. They wanted to have time to go home and get changed and then get out to the temple burn. So it was still daylight. When they got out there, they got onto the middle of the man site and they put up this little mini man, they called it, eight feet high, and they tied it up with twine and people loved it and they started adorning it and dancing around it and doing all the stuff. And they were trying to get Larry in the radio and the weather was inclement and Larry decided he wasn't going to come out. And so they're like, okay, we're just going to burn him anyway. So they go to burn him and it was kind of a crappy burn, like they didn't set it up right and it just kind of fell over and... They're feeling kind of disheartened. Larry didn't show up. Weather's not great. Didn't burn great. And they're starting to walk away. Law enforcement drives up and says, what's that burn? Is it on the list? And they're like, oh, no. Is that an approved burn? And they're like, well, yeah, it is an approved burn. Larry and Crimson said it was good. And they're like, who are Larry and Crimson? And they're like, wait a second, wait a second. They're trying to get on the radio. And this is heating up. It's getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and they can't get Larry and Crimson on the radio. And now the cops are getting pissed. And before you know, one of them is being hauled into the cop's car and driven to jail. There's, this is for cell phones, and there was no cell phones out there anyway. We all pool our money together. One person is elected to drive into Lovelock and bail him out. The next day, they bailed him out. We found out in the drive home that the reason he was arrested was because he had a warrant on his record oh. for some driving ticket that he'd gotten seven years before in Nevada, but totally forgot. He thought he paid it, but he didn't. So they had something to hang on him so they could yeah. go and throw him in jail. So when he came back, I was pissed. Larry was pissed. Crimson was pissed. And we got together with law enforcement and probably whoever was running, I, I, maybe I, I probably was representing the Rangers that year, but we had a heart to heart. And back in those days, you know, our relationship's always been sort of good one year and bad the next, but it was a kind of okay relationship with law enforcement that year. Mm. So we agreed that it's kind of ridiculous that he had to go to jail over because he wasn't on the list. So we made approved burn sites. And the very first and the, the always constant burn site was you can burn on the remains of the man himself. And then every year they would make another one or two burn sites and they were on the list of approved burn sites. So <laughs> over time that morphed into more and more structure. And I think that's what we now have that are called burn gardens. That is so good. A burn event. No, no, no. This is op open season. <laughs> There's no event. It's just that site's good. Yeah. That was what, 2002, you think? my first year running the rangers what good came of it right isn't that good we got something that worked and that turned into something that's now formalized and now um no one's going to get thrown in jail for burning something <laughs> <laughs> yeah the relationship with law enforcement has just been all over the map and you've seen the best and the worst i have i have seen the best and the worst uh what was the best one well to me the best one is mike bilbo he was the very first uh, field officer that we ever worked with he uh, found out about us, I think, in 1992 or four. He was doing his job running the range of the Black Rock Desert and came upon this fire on the playa and all these people moving in a circle or counterclockwise around it. And he just stood there and held out his hand and everyone came by, gave him a high five. And he fell in love. He fell in love with Bernie Man. He was immediately included. Awesome. He got it. 
And he's been, he, he really helped us in the early days in so many ways. Um, I used to go up on the weekend with a bunch of other people, not a bunch, like maybe four or five of us. He showed us all the burn scars we had done in the playa for all those years before we had a burn blanket. He showed us where they were. I started GPS and that's the year GPS came out. I GPS them all. He took me and some others of us on our very first Leave No Trace train the trainer backpacking trip. And I learned about burn blankets. And I think in 2000, God, it's probably 2002, I had the largest ever, probably in the world, burn blanket made for the Burning Man. Um, I know it was there in 2003 because uh, when they burned the Mini Man on him, the burn blanket was there. Yeah. Um, that year, the burn got so hot that the burn blanket wasn't good enough, and then they switched to DGS after that because they can get a thicker coating on it. Mm -hmm. But Mark Bildopo showed us um, all that I've ever learned about the Black Rock, and he's had our back for so many years and helped us out. He gave us Leave No Trace. He's the person who inspired us to, to, to become a Leave No Trace event. Mm -hmm. So he's my favorite, my best uh, BLM officer we've worked with. Nice. That's a good one. Diversity, constellations, approved burn sites, BLM officers we worked with before we liked. It was a great episode. Stay tuned for episode three. Radio, 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 radio,